We're continuing with random thoughts there. And, you know, if you don't ask, my family has heard me say this a lot. Because when they're inquiring about something, I tell them, well, if you don't ask, then you know what the answer is. Uh, That deals with all sorts of things. That deals with uh, when you're shopping for uh, a car or anything else, and they tell you the price, and you say, gee, I wonder if it'll be, you know, if I could get that for less. Well, if you don't ask, then you know what the answer is. You know, or if they can do something, well, if you don't ask, then you know what the answer is. Um, But every once in a while, we find ourselves in a situation, and we wonder if maybe we should probe a little deeper whether we should ask a question or two. And uh, what usually happens is we keep quiet. Instead of asking, instead of probing, instead of looking a little deeper, we end up keeping quiet and we don't ask. Today I want us to think about the importance of asking and the outcome if we don't ask. Let's pray and then we'll turn to our text. Father, thank you for the way that um, you have put people in our lives that ask us questions. And I thank those who asked me about my relationship with you and what a difference they made. At first, I didn't want to hear it. At first, I didn't, want to, I didn't even want to entertain what they had to say. But those questions still resonated with me. And to know that you continue to send other people into my life to ask me about my relationship with Christ. And Father, even after I came to you, you have given me people who will ask. And who will help me to grow in you and help me to be more than what you have called me to be. So as we think about your word this morning, help us to remember those people who touched our lives with Father. uh, The reality that you may use us to touch other lives. Some of us sit here and we say, I don't think so. Uh, But, Lord, you are the one who works in and through us. And that's what we want to see. So, as you reveal your word more and more to us today, um, help help us to see ourselves a little bit more in the way you see us, a little bit more in the way you want us to be, a little bit more... um, Uh, realistic, I guess I would say. So teach us again through your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in John chapter 5. Turn there. First 18 verses, page 980, if you're using the Pew Bible. Uh, We've looked at this passage before. Uh, You've read it before. It's, it's, you know, somewhat familiar to many of you. Um, Maybe today a little bit of a new angle uh, and maybe not. I'm going to read the whole passage. Lately, I've been, you know, just reading through sections and we're talking about it. But today I'm going to read through the whole passage all at once, all 18 verses. Uh, So follow along and then I encourage you to keep your Bible open because as we go along, I will refer to some of those verses uh, and you'll be able to look and see uh, because I want you to be able to connect with God's word. Uh, What I say and what I have to say is really unimportant if it doesn't lead you into God's word. So I'm hoping that's what it does. So here we go, Uh, John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the waters. 
because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time to stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up recovered from whatever ailment he had. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. It is illegal for you to pick up your mat. He replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who, had been, who was cured did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus responded to them, My father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but is even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, um, this it starts out and it says uh, after this Jesus had been spending some time in Galilee and he travels back down to Jerusalem during one of the feasts this does not necessarily fall right after the events of of chapter 4 it's not like um, you know it's one and then they went right to the other uh, that's why that's why it begins with you know after this and some of the translations say sometime later uh, you know, all, all the Jewish men within a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem were required to come to the temple for five of the feast uh, throughout the year. And those who were further away tried to make it to the temple, uh, at least for one. Uh, generally, it was Passover, and, you know, Passover was a, was a, a, a real big deal for them. And so every year... Um, you know they would they would come and uh, and many would come into into uh, Jerusalem for that. I've often thought that uh, in, in here, well not here, around the world we kind of get uh, holidays messed up a little bit. Uh, it's good to make a big deal out of Christmas. I think we should be making a bigger deal out of Easter. Uh, that's a different sermon, though. So. Um, we don't want to get into that here. You know, they, they would be in, you know, they would be coming in. And now on Jesus' way into town here, into Jerusalem, he's passing through one of the gates and he passes by Bethesda, a pool which was felt to have healing powers. Uh, you know, he had no doubt come that way before. Now, some would see this as a perchance kind of event. Um, my personal conviction is Jesus did everything with intent and purpose. I just, uh, that's the way I see Jesus. And so I, I don't see this as a perchance event. I see this as something which was laid out, you know, by God. And, and as Christ was here, as Jesus was here, and then he was, was working, you know, in line with what was laid out there. Um, but we're told there, there were a large number of sick people gathered around the pool. Some of their ailments are listed. You can see them there. It says blind, lame, paralyzed. 
they were waiting they were waiting for a god event in their minds you know a god event they were waiting for the water to be stirred uh, you know their belief was that an angel went down into the water stirred it up and then the first person to reach the water would be healed uh, this was their belief uh, to me that seems to be superstitious it doesn't seem at all to be a god thing this is that is a system where the one with the greatest physical need is least likely to be healed. I mean, that's that's exactly what it is, because when the waters were stirred and the race was on, you know, to get down to the water, the one with the greatest handicap had the greatest handicap in getting to the water first. I just don't, I, I don't see the word, that's the, that is not a picture of, of God to me, of the loving God that we have. It, it's not whoever's first, it's not, you know, um, it, it, it's, you know, when he does things and when he heals, when he touches lives, when he works, it's because of his love and because of who he is. You know, and here it just seems, you know, to be a little bit of a, of a, uh, a backward um, system in their, you know, idea in their mind. Uh, but the desire to be healed is a powerful one. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think we all understand that. That is a it's a powerful, powerful force to want to be healed. Um, even today, you know, there's shrines and locations. Some feel have healing powers and they'll draw a crowd. You know, that includes those places with weeping statues. Uh, people where some feel that an image of Jesus can be seen either, uh, you know, in a rock formation, a pane of glass. Um, a slice of toast that one always gets me I see Jesus in the toast really uh, well at any rate um, yeah. even mineral springs people flock to mineral springs you know and um, it, it, the, the desire to be healed is huge uh, the mother of one of my buddies um, that, I, that I grew up with uh, came down with cancer and they had gotten to the point where they had exhausted all that uh, our medical folks could do for. And I remember, you know, she continued to search and she had heard about this doctor in Italy who had, you know, this special treatment who would be able to help her. Um, so at really at great personal expense and physically, financially, emotionally um, she went over to Italy to see this doctor uh, and he gave her this treatment and um, it didn't improve a thing um, but I think we all understand that desire to want to get better and when nothing seems to be working you begin that search you know, we, we don't have to have a life-ending disease or a life-altering uh, disease to want to get better so much that we try any method at all that seems like it might possibly offer us some hope. Um, you know, we want to get better. Most people want to get better. They don't want to be sick. They don't want to live in a debilitating way in some manner. And now with all of these people here waiting for the moving of the water, and I think the crowd was extra large because of the feast time, so with all of the, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but with all of those people gathered there, Jesus engages one person. Just one person. With all of those that were there, 
and, and needing healing and wanting healing. He only engages one person. And as I read this account, judging by the lack of response from the crowd, it seems that Jesus did not make a big show of this. It seems to me that it was a, a very private, personal discussion. Because none of the others around there seemed to pick up on it. Think about it. If they were there waiting for healing, and this person next to you gets healed, if you were aware of it, that this was the guy who did it, what would you do? That's the guy I'd be looking for. That's the guy we would be going to. But we don't have any indication here that anybody else even picked up on it. You know, that, that anything else, you know, and I look and I think, you know, why, why just one and why this one in particular? I don't know, but did, did Jesus see this guy on another trip in to, to the temple sometime? Um, we're not told why, but what we are told, what we see here is that Jesus engaged just this one man among many. Don't let overwhelming need silence you. You know, approach them, approach them anyway. We can get overwhelmed by the size of the need sometimes. You know, I'm listening to how many beds there are in, uh, in the rescue mission, how many homeless there are, you know, in, in, our, in our area. And I think, what, what an overwhelming why who who was the one who thought we can do something about this and stepped up and began we can we you know sometimes we see an overwhelming need and we step back we don't step forward we look to get out of the way we look to you know we 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 feel that we we don't have an answer we don't have the resources here uh, but here you know this overwhelming need and and you know we can get overwhelmed by it to the point of not engaging people, to the point of doing nothing. Don't make that choice. You know, don't make that choice. Approach people. Talk to people. You know, speak to them. Uh, we, we think the, the need is, is so great and so much to do. Uh, so many people need to know Jesus. What difference can I make? Well, here's the thing. You will make a difference to that person you talk to. You will make a difference to that person that you tell about Jesus. Talk to people. Tell them. Tell them about your life with Jesus. Tell them what a difference he has made for you. Tell them that, you know, that I, I was, I, I mean, I, I've talked with people before and, you know, and I have told them, uh, I, you know, when, when they're telling me about, about you know, their their beliefs and stuff, and, I, and I'll, you know, I tell them, you know, I remember when I was practicing a religion, but I didn't have a relationship with Christ. You know, tell them what a difference God has made in your life. Tell them, you know, about how he, about your your walk with Jesus. You know, Jesus asks here what some might consider to be a silly question, but we wouldn't dare say that, would we? Because Jesus asked it. You know, so we we get to the Sunday school attitude a little bit. Well, you know, Jesus asked it, then it must not be a silly question. But he says to him, do you want to get well? 
Some people don't want to get well. I'm convinced of that. I, I mean, I've, I've seen some, and, and I'm convinced they don't want to get well. They're used to other people caring for them, or they like the attention. Or sometimes, you know what, change is just too frightening. They're used to living how they are, and, and changing is just too frightening. One of the statistics um, will show that, uh, that when um, a husband or a wife is an alcoholic, and they have been an alcoholic for an extended period of time, and then they stop drinking. Uh, the divorce rate is above, above, well above average. It is statistically significant. And you think, well, why? Why? Because this person is you know, no longer an alcoholic. They have given that up. Why is it? Because they were used to functioning in the dysfunctional way. And the good change in one person means the other person has to change in how they respond to them, and they just can't get over that hump sometimes. Change can be frightening. Change can be, you know, discouraging. Here's someone, you know, waiting by the pool. I'll assume they actually do want to get well. And Jesus says, do you want to get well? Seems like a question with an obvious answer. Don't be afraid to ask the obvious question. Don't be afraid to ask the obvious Asking a question, when you ask a question where the answer seems obvious, it will help the other person to respond because it is not a threatening question at all. It is not a threatening question. So when you open and you speak to them, you know, and you ask an obvious question that is not, uh, not threatening, it opens the door. That obvious question opens the door of communication in a non-threatening way. Now, this man, this man responds to Jesus with an explanation as to why he can't be healed. He says he doesn't have anyone to put him in the water when it's stirred up. Now, the Holman Christian Standard, which I read from in a New American Standard, they put the end of verse 3 and all of verse 4 in brackets with a footnote telling you why they did it. Now, those of you who are who were following along in either the English Standard Version or the NIV uh, thought that I was making things up when I got to the end of verse 3. Uh, but if you look, it's down in a footnote on the bottom there for you, um, telling you, you know, the, more about the man's response and the stirring of the water and things. Well, there's two problems, at least two problems with a man's thinking here. One is thinking, you know, that he feels he needs others to make him whole. There's no one to help me into the water. I can't do this on my own. There is no one to help me. I can't do this. I can't make this change. You know, you know, he didn't need others. He needed Jesus. You know, we talk to people and they can talk about all of these other things. And what they need is they need, to, they need an encounter with Christ. They need to come to know who Jesus is and that reality of who he is. Also here, the man says he can't get into the water in time. Why? Because he thinks the stirring of the water is what's heal, what heals. That's a superstition. You know, he thinks that's what heals. I... I, I <coughs> now, as you think about that, I, I think it's worth noting here. Did you notice Jesus does not berate this man for thinking that? Jesus does not even address his wrong ideas. That's something we're prone to do. We're prone to want to straighten them out a little bit. You know, we can, we can feel like we, like we need to straighten everyone out. We don't. We, we don't need to straighten everybody out. 
You know, what we're trying to do is help them to come to know Christ, help them to come to encounter, you know what? And he is going, if they really come to know Christ as they grow in Christ, you know what he's going to do? He's going to knock off all that chaff. He's going to take away all of that other stuff. He's going to guide them. He's going to straighten them out. What you need to do is introduce them to Christ, the one who can change their life. And if you truly believe that, that he can change their life, then introduce them to Christ so he can change their life. If what you're trying to do is change their life, so let's say you're successful and you get, to, you get them to, you know, to stop drinking and they're not an alcoholic anymore, but they don't know Jesus, what good have we done? You see, we need to introduce them to Christ, the one who does change lives, the one who, you know, who, who, who will help them out. Now, Jesus took the man's focus off of all of these reasons why he had that he had to remain the way he was. Jesus takes his focus off of that and he actually challenges him with, to respond. He says, get up. Verse 8, get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Now, you know, why we can't heal people, and, uh, you know, God's the only one that brings healing there. Now, yeah, I do believe there's a gift of healing, but it's not you who heals. It's always God who heals. Um, you know, but the, the point is, we can, we can help people look beyond the current challenge that they're facing. We can help them look beyond that current challenge to a new future. I was talking with somebody just this week, and that, and that, that whole subject came up, and I told him, I said, you know, we really can't, we can't change the past, but we can change the future. When we come to Christ, you know, our future changes. When we come to Christ, a whole, a whole new reality opens up for us. And we can help him see that. Jesus is getting his eyes, he's getting his eyes off, off of that current situation and helping him to see a new future. Help people to see the possibilities with God. Not the despair of the situation. This guy was focused on the despair of the situation. Jesus was bringing him beyond that and getting them to see the, the, the reality of a, of a life with God and those possibilities there. Approach them. Address their despair with Jesus' power. Tell them what Jesus has done in your life. Give them the opportunity to come to Jesus. Help them. Bring in a point of decision. That's exactly what Jesus does. You know, get up. Pick up your mat. He goes on. He says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Now the man had a decision to make. He had a decision to make. He could stay in his misery and despair and pouting and all of the reasons why this couldn't happen. Or he could believe that in Jesus. He could believe what Jesus said and change his life, change his future. Help people see the possibility of a new life with God and all that that entails. Give them the opportunity to come to know Jesus. Approach them, engage them, help them to see Jesus. Now this, this all took place here. It says that it was on the Sabbath, so some of the strict Jews took exception to the entire thing. And did you pick up on this? Instead of rejoicing that the man was healed, did you notice they complained because their religious rules were violated? Instead of the fact that this man's life, I remember 
We used to have a softball tournament down in Muncie every year. Uh, and, you know, the, the, our whole central district, the whole central area. And we ha- used to have this softball tournament down there. Well, when I was at the church in Riverdale, we used our softball team as an outreach thing. We had guys, you know, that weren't, that weren't Christians, you know, and they clearly weren't Christians. And um, a couple of things happened there, but one that sticks in my mind, a couple that stick in my mind, but one that relates to this is um, there was another pastor that I, that I, that I know, uh, and he was down there with the team, and we were there with the team. Um, well, our guys weren't all Christians. One of the guys, you know, between games, um, it might even have been during the game, he stepped out of the dugout and he had a cigarette. So this other pastor comes over to me and he says, great Christian over there smoking, isn't he? I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe he even said that to begin with. But we get sometimes... Instead of seeing the reality of a life changed, what we begin to look at sometimes is somebody violated something that we don't like. And we don't like the fact that they're not a Christian in the way we think they should be a Christian. And that they're not doing this and they're not pursuing God in the way that we think they should be pursuing God. This is what the scribes were doing here. This is what the leaders, the Jewish leaders, were were doing here. You know, they they didn't they just completely overlooked the reality. Not, they did notice what they did notice that there was a change in this man's life. They just weren't rejoicing about it. They weren't rejoicing in the fact that this man was healed. They complained because he violated you know some of their some of their rules and some of their regulations. And really, what happened there is it opened more doors to engage people. The man was asked why he was doing this, why he was acting, why he was. Now they they asked him because why? Well, they noticed that there was a change. You know, and that there was a change though that bugged them. So they asked him about it because it bugged them. Now, this man knew the law. You know, he knew that this was out of the acceptable norm. So he tells him in verse 11, though, he says, that the the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. The man who made me well. The man who changed my life. The man who took me from where I was to where I am now. That man. Tell others what Jesus has done for you. This is what this guy was doing. He was simply telling him what Jesus had done for him. And so here you have this guy who was a cripple and now he's an evangelist. Now, here's the deal. You know, you don't have to know theology. You don't have to be able to explain the Trinity. You don't have to have any verses memorized. Now, all those things are good. You know, all those, all those things are good. But you don't need to have any of them mastered. Did you notice verse 13? Look at verse 13. But the man who was cured did not know who it was. This guy didn't even understand who Jesus was. You know, this guy didn't even know who he was. He couldn't answer any questions about him. But he knew the difference that Jesus had made in his life. He didn't know, he couldn't explain who Jesus was, but he knew the difference that he made in his life. 
Simply tell others what Jesus has done for you. Now, Jesus comes back after that and finds the man, and he, he, you know, he points the man in the right direction, points him to a changed life. He says, stop sinning. Change your life. Change that direction of your life. Stop sinning. And Jesus tells the man he needs to change the way he was living. He needs to work on not sinning. See, Jesus doesn't just leave the guy. He comes back and he connects with this guy. We need to follow up on people. We need to follow up with people when at all possible. Sometimes it's not possible, but that's rare. You know, that, that's rare anymore, uh, particularly in our society with cell phones, text, and emails. You know, we can, we can connect with people. Uh, Jesus called us to make disciples, not converts. Uh, you know, and here he is, he's connecting. You know, making, making disciples is not dumping the gospel on someone and walking away. He doesn't ask us to dump the gospel on people and walk away. He asks us to be able to, to be willing to get involved in their lives. Follow, approach people. Follow up with them. Help them to see how to live a new life in Christ. Now, what went on in this man's life also gave him an opportunity to tell the leaders more about Jesus. So he did. Yeah, so he did. Yeah, the man who made me well. This guy who made a difference in my life. Now, the Jewish leaders didn't receive that news very well, did you notice? In fact, it says they decided to be irritated with Jesus and decided to reject him. You know, it's, it's unfortunate, it's tragic, really, that some will reject Jesus, but realize some will be close to Jesus. You know what? Tell them about him anyway. They won't want to hear about him. Tell them anyway. When I, when I didn't know Christ and people would begin to tell me about Christ, I didn't want to hear it. Guess what? They told me anyway. When my sister, the one who came to Christ first in our family, and she insisted that her, you know, her baby brother would hear about Jesus, I didn't want to hear it. Guess what? She told me anyway. Tell them in love, though. You know, tell them in love. Not as an obligation, not as a project. I've told you before about Jenny's stepdad, and um, he was quite opposed to hearing about our relationship with Christ. You know, when I started dating Jenny, I was not a Christian. I wasn't a Christian until after we got married. Uh, when I started dating Jenny, she wasn't a Christian. You know, but when we came to Christ, and you know, we we'd tell him about it. You know, we talked to him about it. And one time he responded in quite a hostile manner. He was sick and tired of hearing about it. And he thought it was terrible that we were forcing our kids into the church and things. Jenny just looked at him and said, we only tell you because we love you. He never again complained about us telling him about Christ. And through that process, Jenny's two younger brothers came to know Christ as their Savior. And are both, you know, still, you know, very active in their faith. Some will be closed to Jesus. Some will be closed, you know, tell them about your experience with him anyway. Here in John, we read in verse 16 and 17, 
Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus responded to them. He told them anyway, even though they were opposed. He told them anyway, my father is still working. I'm working also. This is why the Jews began to try all the more to kill him. It didn't stop Jesus from telling others who he is and what he had done. And at this point, they rejected Jesus. But there's a very interesting verse in this regard in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, it says, So the preaching about God flourished. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly. And a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. And I can't help but think, were some of these the same ones who heard from this, from this uh, crippled man about what Jesus had done in his life. Were some of these, some of the same ones who rejected Jesus at that point, who thought that he was not God, who didn't, who didn't want to hear about him. Were some of these priests the same ones then who became obedient to the faith? Don't assume Closed people will always reject Jesus. Don't assume that. Don't let the overwhelming need silence you. Approach people. Talk to them anyway. Engage them. Tell them about Jesus. Ask the obvious question. Don't be afraid. If you don't ask, they may never hear about Jesus. If you don't ask, they may not come to know him. Approach them. Help people see the possibility of life with God. You know, approach them. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Follow up with them as you can. Get involved. Approach them. Help them to see how a new life with Jesus. It's, it's often easier caught than taught. You know, to, to see how someone lives a life for Christ. And don't assume closed people will always reject Jesus. Approach them. Tell them about a new life in Christ. If you don't ask them, they remain headed for hell. And that is not where we want to see them end up. Don't be afraid to ask people and help them connect with Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those who continued to ask me. And that even when I rejected, even when I didn't seem like I cared, their talking to me anyway did make a difference. Not right then, Father, but years later. You began to connect those dots for me. You began to help me see and know and understand more what it meant to have a life in you. You are the one who brought that transforming work into my life through the efforts of these people who weren't afraid to ask me about you and about my life. Remind us of that, Lord, when we see people. Remind us of that when maybe somebody does something that bugs us a little bit.
Help us not to straighten them out, but to help them come to know you. To help them come to see you. To help them come to grow in you. Not to live to our standards, Father, but to have that relationship with you, that life-changing relationship with you, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.